Hello, everyone. Welcome to Word with Dave Clay. This may or may not resonate (laughs) with either some or maybe all of you. Uh, Work circumstances can be stressful at times for a lot of reasons. (laughs) And some of that's got to do with the work that you're doing and just some of that's got to do with cohabitating. Actually, when I was trying to come up with an intro to the podcast for today, I thought I could probably talk about my wife and more domestic affairs at the house. But anytime you live in close proximity to another individual, and it's like that bed uh, that has the capability of adjusting temperatures as well as, uh, I guess, elevating feet and head for, it's a two-person bed, for you and then whomever else you might be sleeping with at the time. Uh, The notion of it is, is that it'd be real nice climate control in your car. You've got temperature for one side and passenger, temperature for the other side, driver, and you could even have temperature for the passengers in the back seat, and they can have separate heat. All of that is wonderful, right? Because unless you have that, then you've got to contend with other people. And depending on the number of folks at work, getting back to the work analogy, which I thought was the safest place to go, rather than more domestic affairs, you've got to contend with a lot of personal preferences when it comes to things like that, particularly thermostats. Now, some people remedy that because they don't offer that to anybody, but whoever is the the key to the master control or has the code now to the master control so they can set it at whatever they want and you don't have thermostats. You don't have options. You don't have in your personal space within the much larger context of everybody else's space you may not be able to adjust that. Now, it is true, if it's too cold, you can always wear a sweater, or if it's too hot, you could take off a jacket. You might even go out and get some sort of personal heater, heating device, for, and maybe even fans. You can do some of that. But there's nothing worse than what I used to call thermometer wars, where you'd get two individuals... Or maybe just one, but two individuals who had different preferences. And even with the maybe just one, I've known individuals that are hot and they go out and turn it real cold. And and once they get real cold, they go out and turn it up to something hot and even more so than in a car. Getting back to that notion of back in the day when there wasn't all this separate climate control stuff. Nothing worse than riding with somebody who turned it on and turned it off and turned it on and turned it off and just could not let the thermostat do its job. They were overregulating it. Now, how to get that, that resolved uh, kind of is a question maybe for psychology today. And hopefully I can make the association here in a moment. But the article from the January-February edition, 2023, How I Have To Becomes I Want To. Meet Your Goals by Making Them Purposeful by Mark Travers, Ph.D. 
We generally assume that facing too many obstacles while pursuing a goal takes a toll on our motivation level. However, a study published in the Journal of Research and Personality turns this logic on its head, suggesting that it is actually our motivation that determines the number and difficulty of obstacles we face. When pursuing a goal and trying to change their behavior, most people have great intentions, but often those intentions don't translate into actions. Says Marina Malavaska of Charleston University, excuse me, Carleton University in Canada. Any temptation that stands in the way of our attaining our goals constitutes an obstacle. For example, junk food is an obstacle when our goal is to eat healthy or healthily. And cell phones and other distractors are obstacles when our goal is to study our work. Obstacles and their level of difficulty can be perceived differently by different people. Individuals' personality, the type of goal they are trying to achieve, and the strength of the desire are all factors that play a part in determining their perception of and relationship to obstacles. Another important factor is the type of motivation. The Carlton study distinguishes between two different kinds of motivation we experience while pursuing a goal. Want-to motivation represents our internal motivation, doing something because it's personally important to us. It's interesting or it fits well with our values. Have-to motivation involves behaviors that we feel we should be doing, either because someone else requires or expects it of us, or because we would feel guilty if we didn't engage in those behaviors. The researchers conducted seven studies testing participants' motivation levels by assigning them different tasks and exposing them to various temptations, like pizza during a boardroom meeting. They found that people who showed want-to motivation, that is, people who did the tasks with feelings of personal interest, conscientiously placed themselves away from obstacles, thus making goal attainment easier on themselves. The opposite was true for people who were functioning with have-to motivation. Goal pursuit is not about being extraordinarily strong, Instead, it's about knowing the things that make us weak and keeping a safe distance from them. How does this solve the motivation problem? Two suggestions to help tackle the unavoidable problems of doing things because we have to do them include instead of groaning your way through such a task every single time, generate want-to motivation. Think about how the task fits into your values and identity. Reframe it as something that is more want to. Maybe I value being a conscientious worker. Completing that dreaded report fits in with this value. Or I want to eventually become a veterinarian. Doing my math homework is important to accomplish that goal. Making it more pleasurable in the moment. Pair it with something that is fun or enjoyable, such as listening to music. If you find you're pursuing a goal for half two reasons, then you are more likely to struggle with that goal. Perhaps it's worth replacing that goal with a goal that is more personally meaningful or important. Or instead, find more want-to reasons for going after that same goal. To approach a task 
with an intrinsic sense of purpose gives you the best shot at truly and happily accomplishing it. The article is written by Mark Travers, Ph.D., who's a psychologist with degrees from Cornell University and the University of Colorado, Boulder, How I Have To Becomes I Want To. Meet your personal goals or meet your goals by making them purposeful. Psychology Today, January, February 2023. So thermostats are a lot like motivation. Or at least maybe temperature and in a basic sort of way, one's innate sense of comfort. Temperature being probably tied to preservation of 98.6. Homeostatic response, the ideal average or whatever you don't call it, body temperature. It's optimal. Maybe that's it, the optimal body temperature. But the maintenance of that sort of is like that thermostat analogy. And with that then, the body kind of does that without much requirement for thinking or thought. And even so, the article is talking about motivation. And I kind of, I suppose, come up with that story on the front end, the intro on the front end, out of just that. It does seem like if we're not careful, all this comes back to constantly regulating our motive, our motivation. And the article ties it to values or calls it values, but that's sort of like the homeostatic response or the optimal. It's programmed into you. It's sort of like, again, those uh, office settings that really you have no access to the thermostat. It's just set at that, and it just needs to be that way. Wouldn't it be nice if motivation were that way? Everything you did was sort of regulated by somebody else, but that's the whole point of the article. Some things are more pleasurable, some things not so pleasurable, some things then that are more, those things then that are more pleasurable, some things that therein are more pleasurable or more appealing to us and intrinsically have a greater motive, some things that we've either had bad experience with, as with learning, we've come to really not regard in the highest sort of order. Uh, It's not a priority, but maybe it's even something that in some fashion of avoidance we don't want to do. But we have to. Now, you could spend your whole life regulating. And there's nothing wrong with that. And in some ways, that is one of the essential principles or premises and principles then Elementally so, of psychology or psychological counseling. Uh, There's plenty of things that are instrumental, (laughs) are not just pleasurable, that out and out cause pain that we don't want to do. But in the end, with that notion of being instrumental, we do them because we know there's something good on the other side of that. And then what is that good? Usually in psychological counseling terms, we want to tie that to something that's primarily going to bring pleasure. The ultimate is survival. The ultimate is not to freeze to death in your office or not to overheat. But if you're not careful, you get that individual that's constantly turning it up, turning it down, and they really don't seem to have much restraint with that, then they don't realize that maybe that should be somewhat limited too in terms of range. There's just some things that you have to do and you don't want to. 
I'm not against trying to find a way to reframe it. I'm not against trying to see it in optimistic and encouraging terms. Quite the contrary. I think that's great if you can do that. But there is, there are, there is a certainty about having to do at least those things that really are good for our ultimate, not only survival, but to have a good life. And one of those things is not only to kind of consider whether you're hot or cold or whether you're feeling pleasure or pain or whether then whatever the situation circumstance is that brings about pleasure or pain is, is good for you or bad for you. Again, those are not bad exercises. That's empiricism. That's science. You're testing it. Make sure whatever you do is a sound research model and... and uh, with that, the feedback, good, and apply it in the best of ways when you make your corrections or your adjustments and try to frame it once more in as positive terms as possible. Life does not have to be bad. The lens doesn't have to be dark and cloudy and maybe one that uh, in some ways always has some element of pessimism attached. You can be positive and optimistic. You should think those ways. But at the same time, though, too much of that is where the problem begins. Because even then, the way the human mind works, you can only go so far and regulating that emotive so much that you'll eventually get to the point where you just have to say, I'm just bored out and I'm tired. Now, I don't know that it's possible just to put all that within the category of non-emotion. But as much you go with the emotion and the motive and you see it as tied to pleasure and pain, maybe there's a time and a place where you disconnect that from too much emotion. Uh, I'll give a very personal example. Uh, Maybe somewhat the same. Uh, Some mornings I don't want to get out of bed. And it is the same in this way. It's just too cold. Uh, I want to stay under the covers. It's nice and cozy. It's warm. I'm feeling really relaxed. And I've got to get up. And the minute I get up, I'm going to face at least some degree of cold. And if I then follow my typical normal routine, whether it's summer or winter, summer being warmer, winter being cooler, colder, I'm still going to have to do certain things. For me, the better thing to do is just not factor in too much the motive. I want to do, give due respect to even me and my sentiments. But once I've made the determination, it's all really instrumental and in the end survival. It's necessary I do this. I've established that. Then I don't want to think too much about my emotions. I don't want to think too much about whether I'm hot or cold. I could spend my whole life adjusting it in that way, but that doesn't seem very fluid. And again, thermostat wars. You can get into a war with yourself. On, off, on, off, on, off. You can get a war with other people. That does not... If there is going to be a homeostatic response in psychological sort of dimension, then let's just establish the ideals, what's healthiest, what's base, what's healthiest base, most adaptive, and then we just do them. <laughs> and really remove that from conscious awareness 
and put in the category of sort of mechanistic. Now, I know that does not make it any more appealing, but it probably takes away all the negatives. And I think in some ways, that's what the article captures when it highlighted the fact of this study at Carleton University in Canada. The researchers conducted seven studies testing participants' motivation levels by assigning them different tasks and exposing, and exposing them to various temptations like pizza during a boardroom meeting. They found that people who showed want to motivation, that is, people who did the task with feelings of personal interest, consciously placed themselves away from obstacles, thus making goal attainment easier on them. The opposite was true for people who were functioning with have-to motivation. Goal pursuit... Therein, summary, is not about being extraordinarily strong. It's instead, instead, it's about knowing the things that make us weak and keeping a safe distance from them. But what if you like pizza? And what if maybe in the boardroom there's somebody in there who enjoys pizza and doesn't have the problems that you have with self-regulation or temptation? It's very difficult to just avoid all of those things. Uh, I'll use another, give another example, uh, another analogy. It's like a person who has alcohol problems. Uh, certainly, you shouldn't go to bars, but I've known individuals who've been able to be successful, small number, that have had alcohol problems and can actually go to a bar and not drink. Uh, but there's a lot of individuals who do enjoy drinking and certainly the greater loss of not being socially connected with people uh, and simply because one you, me, someone has a problem with something, could be alcohol, could be eating pizza in boardrooms, should not mean though that we don't, aren't able to socialize. It denies us opportunity. Opportunities to receive something of even higher order. (laughs) And that would be the not eating the pizza, or certainly we don't want anybody to suffer the ill consequences of an alcohol dependence problem, addiction sort of problem. But at the same time, though, being social is really, really, really important. And should you go to a gathering where they're drinking, we'd want you to be able to know how to disconnect emotionally. (laughs) At least once you've resolved yourself to, yeah, I want to be there. Maybe it's a a wedding. And they're going to serve drinks, (laughs) alcohol. And I'm not going to drink because I know... I'm an alcoholic, or I know that I've got some problems with alcohol, but I want to be there for my friend. It would be wrong to not be there for my friend. It would be wrong to not be there within the company of not only my friend, but my social network, which is a good chance, depending on the wedding you go to. And who doesn't like to go to weddings? It's social. Now, we could try to reframe that. We could say, well, you know, all those things are important. And we should. And look at the end goal, being with your friends. But at the same time, though, I think the opinion, 
that somehow avoidance makes that motive easier and switches that from have-tos to want-tos, it only works to this extent. Whatever it is that you want to do, determine it. Run the line on it, do the analysis of it, get the feedback, review where certain things like alcohol have caused you problems or eating too much in a boardroom with, I suppose, a board meeting, a lunch meeting. How that could be problematic. But once you make the determination, possibly the best thing to do then is stop considering so much the motive don't run to the thermostat simply because you're hot and turning it down to cold. Or with that, and don't go to work. Stay at home because you can't really regulate the temperature. And it's cold in there or it's hot in there all the time. Do what you can to manage that. But in the end, maybe you'll have to endure a little too warm, maybe a little too cold. Maybe you don't have a sleep number bed or whatever that is, where you can separate. Maybe you'll have to sleep on a, just a good old-fashioned mattress. Maybe you'll actually be in, in one of those automobiles that doesn't have separate climate controls. And, but when you're in that situation, I think the skill set of knowing how not to detach from the, the emotion, but to know what to do with that is as important as it is to know what you feels good. <laughs> what you want to do, where your values are, where the things you want to versus the things you have to. Now, you can't go through your whole life doing that because then you end up not contending with or not learning from or not doing some debriefing even after the effect or kind of processing some of your emotions that you did kind of put, no pun intended, on ice so that they wouldn't impede or interfere with you doing something instrumentally that is good for you. But then that's also what happens in psychological counseling. People come in and see us after maybe they've done too much of that and we have to unpack it and we explore it and we examine it. But in the end, it's still the same conclusion. If your job requires you to endure heat, you're going to endure heat if you need the job. If you can come up with an option, an alternative that feels better, that seems more pleasurable, that's of more interest, then certainly do that. And I would hope that throughout the course of one's life, you wouldn't be stuck in those kind of jobs or in those type of environments where you've got that person that is just hot and cold, hot and cold, hot and cold. You can't get back to the domestic thing. Not only thermostats, but relationships are like that. But it is ideal, I think, to understand that the ideal would be to try to find some middle ground. Don't go changing the thermostat up and down. Learn to endure at least some range, tolerate some range of discomfort. I don't want you to live in discomfort, but I can't alleviate all of it. Actually, most of bodily operations is predicated upon discomfort. You don't eat until you feel discomfort. You're hungry. You really don't turn the temperature down until you feel discomfort. You're too hot. I'm just saying don't overreact. And at the same time, don't try to pretend it all away for too long. There's a healthy balance. 
But sometimes motive has to come from a place of disconnect of the emotions once you've made the decision or choice or you won't do it. I could lay in bed on those cold mornings under the covers and say, well, I just don't know, should I, shouldn't I not? You get into that ambiguity, ambivalence kind of thing, people who are not good decision makers. I mean, there's times and places that you just have to, yes, and put all determination, motive that you have behind the yes because you know it's the right thing to do. Unfortunately, (laughs) but that's reality. But it's better to do those things, especially as we then might have rightly or properly analyzed them and took a good look at them and even with pain decided, yeah, it's still good for me to do these things. Lest we'd all become (laughs) individuals who just wanted to avoid all of that and run away from all of that or... We just had so many choices and we just really couldn't make that decision and therein we probably would not be too adaptive because things wouldn't get done that needed to be done and that's what being instrumental or at least seeing it in an instrumental sort of context is all about. There's just some things you have to do. You have to face your problems. You have to work through them. That is the thing that we all have to do and really as is the thing That's what psychological counseling is all about. You can do that on your own, but sometimes you need some assistance. But I'm not going to necessarily indulge you and say, well, you don't have to do that. Because some things you just really have to do. But maybe therein is a bit of additional motive. We can try to frame it positively. We can look at good outcomes. We can, again, kind of project down the road, be able to see, predict down the road, how this is going to be beneficial, and then you know, continue to do analysis along the way and, and see the results and the changes. They may not immediate be immediate, media gratification, but they're all part of an overall movement toward a progression towards something better, whatever the target was that we chose. That's all part of it. And yet even within that context, the first step, you're just going to have to do it. And then some things aren't going to have that immediate gratification (laughs) ever. It's not going to feel like it. You just have to do it because you know it's right to brush your teeth every morning. You know it's right to go to the gym or do some sort of exercise. You know it's right to not overeat. Maybe it's kind of like putting that within the category of habit. But too much emotion and you'll talk yourself right out of it cognitively. And even though you, I would trust you to do a good job of micromanaging all that, you'll wear yourself out if you do too much of that or everything comes down to that. Do that once and occasionally get the feedback to make sure it's still valid and appropriate to do it or that the situation is not changed so you don't have to continue. But once you make that decision, my advice is don't think more about it than you need to. Don't do anything that in the end is going to long-term harm you. But most of the stuff, fortunately, that we have to do that's survival-related, that's sort of socially connected, culturally connected, is not so dangerous. Unless you're somebody who's a first responder, military, police officer. I guess you could be on the other side of, of those laws or social sanctions. And you're going to get killed or shot or whatever for doing whatever you're doing. Um, 
But people do high-risk jobs all the time. But I'm pretty sure they know where to put their emotions. <laughs> their emotions get the better of them. So that may be the conclusion. Not that I would want to tell you what's best for you, but we'll do a good analysis. But once we make the determination, I may look at you and say, sorry, we've determined this is the best thing for you to do, and you're just going to have to do it. But I can also say, but don't forget, reframing, in the end, it'll work out better. But don't just avoid it, because you may actually lose out on something that's even better. Again, go back to the wedding. <laughs> you may not even like weddings, but you might love your friends, and that may be a deal breaker for them if you don't come to their wedding. There's just some things that we do because we have to do them, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with a bit of that sort of absolute thinking or disciplined thinking or disciplined action that comes out of just will. It just has to be balanced and Occasionally, take another look at it to make sure it's still valid. It's good. And if it is, and we are right, then reliably so, if you keep doing, if you understand how to get to where you want to get to, and it's not going to cause you excessive harm, or we don't see that the advantages or disadvantages are so, the ratio is so out of proportion or disproportionate that it's not worth doing it, then we're going to probably wait and hopefully see the ultimate motive instrumentally getting to your goal. And won't that be great? And I can help hold you accountable, but even me, you don't want to make me that person that regulates you. We want you to have control of your own life, your own decisions, what you want to do with that, manage your own life. That's what the podcast is about. Helping folks change have-tos to I-want-tos. But also recognizing that really, whether you want to or you have to, as much as there are certain things you have to do, you just have to do them. So I don't necessarily disagree with Mark Travers, PhD, or January, February 2023 edition of Psychology Today article, how... I have to becomes I want to. I'm just also acknowledging do that as much as you can, but sometimes you just have to do certain things. Meet your goals by making them purposeful. I do believe in that. I believe that as long as you can instrumentally or see a purpose in it, you, you really are not going to be able to do anything without purpose. And maybe that's also another way of kind of encapsulating everything the podcast was intentioned to be about today. Understand the purpose and then stick to it. Do a good analysis on the front end and then hopefully you'll valid, reliable. You'll be able to count on a good outcome. But I guarantee if you want a good outcome, you can come back to psychology today and read the articles, but also come back to Word with Dave Clay because the basis of the conversations, both psychology today as well as our podcast, they're all intentioned to help, to give you different perspectives, and with that, to help you kind of sort all that out and make good decisions. And if that appeals to you and you think there's benefit in that, then I'm going to invite you back to the next edition of Word with Dave Clay. And until then, sincerely, genuinely, I want to wish you the best of mental health and 
all that goes along with it. 